0: Hey, this is Shane Malcolm. And this is Jordan Schweitzer. We're the creators of boot bags. Fashionable, durable, washable. Boot bags are the most convenient way to carry your cleats to and from training or games.
1: Check us out at bootbags.us. You're listening to the Force Fancast Podcast.
0: City. With Big Wes battling a storm in Atlanta, Jordan defending Canada's borders from COVID, Tom crooning ballads somewhere in the Hamptons, and due to the time zone difference, Holly and James tucked up in bed and sound asleep, independently, not together, we hasten to add, it's left to Dan and I to stick our soccer spoons of analysis into the Neapolitan ice cream that is Forrest's last three games. Did the Reds' performances add up to a delicious soccer fudge Sunday? Will give us something more akin to brain freeze. We discuss all of that and more on your Forest Fancast. Hey, folks, this is Mark, your regular host on the Forest Fancast. And I'm delighted to say I am joined today, as you heard in the intro, by Dan White. Hey, Dan, how's it going, mate?
1: I won't take any of that personally, Mark. I'm here because no one else was available, <laughs> as always. <laughs> pleasure, pleasure, though. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, you are always welcome, my friend. It's open-door policy for you. But yes, the rest of our crew, uh, obviously at the beginning of the season, I had a mock photo likening us to the Avengers, but that's kind of how it feels right now. It feels like everybody's off saving their own corner of the world. So, but I'm delighted to have you here. Okay, my friend, let's just jump straight into it. Our first section is Forest for the Trees, where we look at forest news of the last couple of weeks. So let's start with Lyle Taylor and his fantastic pink hair and matching boots all in aid of cancer awareness. Obviously this has got a lot press recently, Dan and and rightly so fantastic to see Lyle Taylor doing this.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, It's uh, anything to, to raise money for a good cause, raise awareness and get people uh, dipping in the pocket. Then uh, yeah, fair play to him. Um, I think it's something he does on a, on a fairly regular basis now. Uh, Year after year, and if nothing else, on a grainy eye-follow package, trying to watch on TV, having someone wearing pink boots and pink hair makes it a lot easier for me to see who's on the ball and who isn't. So, uh, if nothing else, I might throw him a, a few dollars that uh, direction just to make uh, my uh, watching a bit easier.
0: It's funny you should say that because he and Knockart are the easiest to spot. Knockart with the yellow boots, and Taylor, of course, with the pink hair and corresponding boots. So, yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, it's interesting, in a recent interview, Taylor talked about raising awareness, but he actually gave a nod to the fact that he, you know, obviously people are struggling right now. And so being able to donate to uh, cancer awareness and, 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 and supporting cancer research might be difficult for some, and that really wasn't his focus this year. So I thought it was nice of him to, to you know, kind of acknowledge that, despite the fact that good folks like yourself are probably still going to put their hands in their pockets, as did UK Meds, who, of course, are one of Forest's commercial partners who said that they would give Lyle Taylor 500 quid for every goal he scored in October. Unfortunately, he only scored the one, but the one he scored, Dan, was worth a thousand pounds because it was against Derby County. So uh, yeah, I mean, you score on your, uh, you score your first Forest goal, you score on your first Derby and it's worth a thousand quid. That's not too shabby.
1: And it was potentially offside, which makes it even funnier, but yeah, (laughs) All, all a good combination, which I'm sure we'll come on to.
0: Why don't you take the second one, my friend?
1: Uh, sure. Okay, so you've thrown me under the bus with the pronunciation here. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to absolutely butcher it. Um, the son of Princess Stephanie and grandson of Princess Grace uh, of Monaco has been a appointed advisor of international projects at Forest. So this is Louis de Cruet. I like that. Yeah, um, that sounds I, good. Where's Jordan when need word? him, mate? De Cruet. De Cruet. <laughs> Louis de Cruet. Um, yeah, so... Um, a bit of an odd one, to be honest, because I think um, given uh, maybe in other situations, this kind of thing might have kind of gone under the radar and people just said, oh, you know, this is good thing I think with, uh, with various connections of our owners with different people, the, there's some suspicion as to why we're doing this. We're we just doing it as a favor. Is it actually good for the club, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, the long and short of it is um, someone who spent five years at Monaco behind the scenes on the, on the business side as a, an assistant to their vice president and general manager is joining forest i think you could call it a pr role more than anything an international pr role um so yeah i'm kind of in a way looking forward to just to kind of seeing what this really means because it's a non-footballing role that was made very clear um and because of that i'm assuming it's going to be about commercial partnerships about getting the word out about forest internationally um hoping it's kind of not a big fanfare about nothing just for him to gain experience and go back and be the next president of Monaco. But um, we shall see. I am hoping with it being international projects, that that means something to do with uh, our clubs such as our supporters, clubs, branches around the world and seeing if they can get us involved. I won't hold my breath, but you never know.
0: Yeah. You know, I hadn't even thought about that, but uh, it would be nice. She yeah, had to be involved in, in, in anything in that regard uh, with the team, but with the club, apparently, uh, looking further afield, looking internationally, uh, it, it seems to like this would have made more sense had our previous manager still been in situ with the French connection. But uh, anyway, it'd be interesting to see how this develops. Let's transition to big news at the FA in regards to the Football Leadership Diversity Code, details of which were released in the last few days, including sides, of course, from the English Football League, Premier League, and from the Women's Super League and Women's Championship as well. Uh, What does it mean? What is the Leadership Diversity Code? Well, a couple of quick bullets here. This is uh, a code that supports 15% of new executive appointments being from a BAME background with 30% female. 25% of new coaching appointments will be BAME and 10% of senior coaching appointments. 50% of new coaching appointments at women's football clubs will be female with 15% BAME and shortlists for interviews will have at least one male and one female BAME candidate providing applicants meet the job specifications. So, um, yeah, I mean, this, this seems very positive, doesn't it? In, the, in a year full of negativity,
1: Dan, doesn't this feel like a good thing? Yeah, certainly. Uh, good, good credit where it's due to the FA, um, and also to Forrest on joining up here. I think ultimately, with all of these things, um, it comes down to the spirit in which the club or the organization want to interpret it. So that those of us in the U.S. who are familiar with the way that the NFL has had rules in place around uh, BAME or African-American candidates for NFL coaching roles knows that some clubs take that in the spirit in which it was intended. Um, and some get an extra body in to interview to say that they've met the rules. So um, if you want to find your way around these rules, I'm sure there's ways and means of doing so uh, to a degree. That's not why it's there. And and also without being patronising, and I'll keep this very brief, I saw some um, tweets in reply to this going also, you know, Forest and other clubs are going to give roles to people based on their, the colour of their skin rather than um, what they can offer to the job. That that couldn't be further from the truth in terms of what how these things are intended. Uh, the purpose here is to get people to think about the way in which they're attracting uh, people from different backgrounds to even think about interviewing for a role uh, in the first place and hopefully people come out who wouldn't have otherwise been uh, thought about for the role and actually are very well qualified for it. So I think it's a subtlety that's often missed in the world of social media um, but deep down here, like there are in a lot of other industries, my, my own industry included, there are very good reasons for doing this. And it's actually for the, for the good of everyone involved. It's not some kind of uh, positive discrimination in any, any way, shape or form.
0: Yeah. Of course the, 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 stark statistic is that only five of the 92 premier league and English football league managers or head coaches are BAME. Uh, Chris Houghton was of course asked about, uh, the diversity code and Forrest signing up for it. He said he was proud to be manager of Nottingham Forest in this regard and that the pleasing factor is that there's an acceptance that the game needs to be more diverse. The only way it can happen is by putting structures in place to allow it to happen. So, um, yeah, that's great to see. Okay, moving on to our last forest for the trees. This is a fun one, Dan. (laughs) Poor old Grisicki as a parrot. I'm sorry, guys. Had to go full on the sun pun there. This of course is the news of Camel Gasicki, West Albion winger, long touted as a forest target. Apparently, for the twenty-fifth man on Forest's roster, right?
1: No, wrong. Dan? Oh, okay. You're gonna have to cut me off at some point on this one. Give me a signal. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got um, a couple of thoughts on this So first of all I, I think if we hadn't gone in from him in the first place None of us would be complaining that we didn't have enough wingers yep. That said, he's a, he's a good player in the league So you know, wh- why not? Um, that said If you're going to go and go for a player like that As we have done on more than one occasion previously You might want to take some early hints That he's might not be interested uh, Or if he is interested, it's only for the money Which seems to be one of the, the contributing factors all of that said, um, I can't understand the logic on Forrest's part apart from just going through the process to one, go through this appeal, and then two, say what they've said after the appeal about it, because essentially, the, the, the long and short of it is uh, they're saying, well, it was only a little bit out, so you've got the discretion as the governing body to, or the board of the governing body, to uh, let us off with this one, and because you've got the discretion and you've used you've decided to use that discretion against us, we feel as though we've been hard done by discretion is an interesting word a a jury in a trial has discretion and they use it to pick which side is the right side to come down on and just because they can use it doesn't mean they should use it in your favor so i on this occasion i think forrester probably dropped the ball on it um does it matter they've dropped the ball on it in this case i i'm not too fussed if i if i'm honest um what i hope we don't do is go and sign him in january anyway having had him not play for West Brom regularly for another, however long it is, and have another player who needs fitness, you know, like the likes of Taylor, Colback, um, Knockart, etc. Who haven't played regularly and have to try and get that into the team again. Uh, and hopefully that if we do try and get him in January, that's not at the expense of someone like Knockart who costs a lot of money being sent back to try and trim some pennies. So um, I hope that's not the case. I hope we can draw a line under it. And I hope we fill the 25 man squad with some of the 40 players we've already got and um, move on from there
0: beautifully done that was incredibly succinct i was expecting about a 15
1: minute rant but good job good job i I cut myself off mark don't worry (laughs) i could have gone on
0: (laughs) well it's interesting the point you make as well about discretion obviously forest leadership rather threw their toys out of the pram when this news was announced this morning releasing a strongly worded statement i'm not going to read all of it to you folks can go find it on the tweety but i'm going to read you one segment as it relates to something dan just said Uh, Quote, it is implicit in the arbitrator's decision that the board could have exercised its discretion lawfully in the circumstances and to have permitted the transfer. We believe it's a matter of significant regret that the board exercised its discretion against us and the player when it could have done the opposite. And it goes on to talk about how this impacts the overall quality of the competition, blah, blah, blah. What's your take on that, Dan? Do you think it's fairly churlish? for the club to come out like this? Or do you think they should have just said, okay, decision arrived at, let's all just get on with with our jobs now?
1: Yeah, of course, you put a statement out saying we're disappointed that, you know, another conclusion didn't come from this. But the wording seems very strange because ultimately what they're saying there, if I interpret it correctly, is, well, you've got a set of rules, but the board who administer those rules have discretion over you know, you know, you always say, you know, we have the final say, or we can choose to do something else at our discretion. And that's a legal thing anyway, right? Because you don't want a situation where something is interpreted in a different way. But I'm not sure we would feel the same if they did something. uh, And maybe people could argue they have have done in some instances, but did something at another club who were selling their stadium for twice the price or something else and turn around and go, do you know what, because we're allowed to let them off with it, that's reason enough to let them off with it. I don't think that's that's sufficient, and it makes it sound, to be honest, as though we haven't got a leg to stand on, because if we had, and we had submitted it on time, or there was some ambiguity over the way that you talk about five o'clock, as there have been many amusing threads to on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, I think we would have put that in a statement and said, well, actually, we think we got it in before the deadline, or well, actually, the wording could be interpreted this way, what it sounds like is we got it wrong. They could have let us off, and they've decided not to. And fair play to them. If you open the door for one team, you know it's going to be a mess next time round. When someone's what what's late, one minute, five minutes, ten minutes, you might as well just move the deadline back. So yeah, I think it's slightly unnecessary, but it's not something I. If it had happened and we'd lost out on Knockhart or Taylor or somewhere, fair enough. But I think we've got. A, a, if we can't get up with this squad, then we're not going to get up with this squad plus Grzeczyk, in my opinion.
0: It makes me laugh when I was seeing the uh, the various. Ex- explanations um what's the word i'm looking for justifications perhaps going around on twitter about you know why we should be let off and why we really weren't late it kind of brought to mind when my mum used to tell me you need to be home at 10 o'clock and not a minute later if i wheeled in at 10 o'clock and 30 seconds that was it i was grounded <laughs> i wasn't going out the next couple of nights so uh, it looks like they used mum rules and that's okay because we all know mum rules so, yeah, I think we just take our licks on this one and move on. So, let's move on to a kickabout. Three of them, in fact. We're going to take a look at Forrest's last three games. Now, we're going to have to get a move on here, mate. So, let me jump into the lineups, give you a quick overview of what went down. You pick out them as pertinent bits and uh, rinse and repeat. So, lineup against Rotherham at home. It seems like a million years ago now, but Sandbait and goal, Christy. Figs, McKenna, Ianu, Yates, Kolback, Lolly, Freeman, Amiobi, and Graben. So, uh, I mean, fairly a- attacking uh, lineup there. Obviously, Yates and Kolback drew some ire from some on social media, but um, the shape of the team is familiar, and nothing in there that's too surprising in terms of selection. Ryan Yates, it's notable, made his 50th appearance for Nottingham Forest against Rotherham and could have marked that with a goal. Uh, In fact, he did put the ball in the net within uh, the first 10 minutes after a nice cross from Joe Lolly. But unfortunately, that strike was judged offside. Additional opportunities in the first half would fall to Amiobi, Graben a couple of times actually, and Figgs but we uh, went in at half, nil-nil. Forrest looking good for it, though, not looking on fire, but certainly looking better value for money. On the hour mark, though, Christie gave away a PK, and Balaza down the middle, cool as you like, 1-0 to Rotherham. And that's when the barrage began. Forrest really started to turn up the heat. McKenna almost opening his account with a header cleared off the line. Yates with a diving header, which seems to be his trademark anymore. At least one diving header per game. This one hit the crossbar. Graben and Freeman combined for another effort cleared off the line. And Lolly even hit the post. And finally, the dam was broken on the 79th minute when Lolly flicked the ball to Graben, who then slotted in Amiobi who diverted the ball coolly into the back of the net. Of course, all of the talking points were about what happened five minutes later. When I mean, with just a few minutes to go, Lewis Graben picked up a wonderful arter ball that split the Rotherham defence, rounded the goalkeeper, only to fire into the side netting. Twitter blew up in the process. The game ended 1-1. Dan, thoughts on Rotherham?
1: All right, I'll keep this one brief because I've forgotten about most of it. But um, just looking back through some of the stats, so Houghton's first home game, um, what could be judged? I know everyone beats everyone, but what could be judged a weaker opponent? Uh, we had good squad availability, no major injury concerns that affected that starting lineup. So logic says a win. The bookies say a win. Fans expect to win against Rotherham at home. Uh, And then you get into the game, shots, shot accuracy, possession, all the stats say win as well. And uh, dare I say it, without sounding like a Brentford fan, the XG says a win. Um, Penalty for Rotherham, they didn't really look like scoring apart from that. They had possession, but they didn't really look like uh, breaking the deadlock until that penalty. And that kind of, I don't want to say against the run of play, but it was probably... Uh, you know, not really on the balance of things. Um, so all in all, a game we expected to win. And based on how the game went, one, we should have won, I think. Um, key for me, I think, and I'll come back to this later, is that we probably have to think about reasons to be patient from that game. And we do have a, a seven new faces, I think, who play in either the starting lineup you named or the, the subs that came on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with seven players, you can have the best seven players in the wor- world you're going to struggle to have a half of football as attacking and dominating as our second half or at least the last half hour so that's one reason why I think we need some patience after that game um, and there were a number of sparks as well in that game I think Arta looked like he can bring something different as you say Yates um, I wrote in my notes I was trying to avoid saying the name that I was going to say because I, I say it all the time but um, Yates continues to do well in a more balanced role where he isn't having to do the running of two midfielders you can ju- you can read into that what you like about the, <laughs> the reason for that but I, I do think and it's been mentioned in the last couple of days that he isn't a defensive midfielder he's been played in that role to a degree or he's been forced to play that role because of those around him uh, he looks better as a box-to-box player if that's, if that's what we call it um, Colback's not looking great or wasn't looking great in that game, but honestly, I think he's been out of playing regular football for a year, so I think we need to give him a bit of time and be patient. So, reasonable and stay patient after that one, I believe.
0: So, a couple of things there. One, notable shout-out, and then something that you appear to have sidestepped. So, in terms of the notable shout-out, anyone who paid attention to what I was saying about Ryan Yates last season will know that I was trying to draw folks attention to when he broke into the team and to the role that he was playing at that time when he was scoring goals and when he was doing exactly what Dan said, getting from box to box. And he's continued to do that this season. And I think Dan, it's for the reasons you cited, because he's finally being played in the position and being asked to do the type of work that suits him. So I'm excited to see him develop. I think there's yet more to come from him, but for right now, everything he's giving us they're almost mad at a match performances from game to game. The one thing you didn't address, which is really interesting because Twitter was keen to, was Grabben's miss in the final few minutes. Is that because you're not on the beat up Lewis Grabben bandwagon? He's done. He's had his best years. And despite scoring 20 goals last season, you know, we need to move on to past years new. Or is it just because you feel, you know, Strikers go through these patches. This is not something to lose our minds over.
1: I think the latter, to be honest, um, there's no doubt. And if you look at the stats, you, c- you can't argue what the numbers say, um, but I think you can argue why they say that. Um, so yeah, he's a, he's a streaky striker. He scores goals in patches and he hasn't scored them for a while. Whether that's something off the pitch or on the pitch, people can write what they want on Twitter, but no one really knows uh you know what the situation is there it seems like he's staying i think the um the transfer windows have shut on any deals that he was going to take abroad so it seems like he's sticking around if we didn't have lyle taylor i'd be interested to see whether people were as quick to suggest that he was dropped um Mm. it's a bit like when you change your manager, people talk about saying we must sack the manager, which is an odd thing to say. You should really be talking about who's going to be coming in. We must have this player coming in. And I think because we've got Lyle Taylor, it's an easy thing to say. We've got a really good striker who's not scoring. Well, we've got this other good, really good striker. So it's obvious you should switch them. I get that. Um, If we had Guerrero on the bench and no Lyle Taylor, would we be clamoring for Guerrero to start? I'm not so sure. And I don't think any player as good as grab and loses it overnight. Um, So I'd still give him uh, a chance. I think it's the same with every striker. If you look back, you know, Premier League strikers, you can take a freeze frame from any game where they've missed a wide open goal and then use that to create a narrative around why they haven't scored for 20 games. Uh, it was on his unfavoured foot. He was going away from goal. And I think he's missed worse, to be honest, than that one. But it's an easy one to pick out. So, yeah, I'm I'm all behind Lewis Graben. I think it's great with him him and Lyle Taylor having competition with each other. And honestly, um, I think that'll be the thing that proves whether he's worth keeping longer term, beyond this season maybe, or beyond January, as to how he responds to that competition. Does he throw his toys out of the pram or does he get stuck in uh, and really give Lyle Taylor a, a run for his money up front?
0: Well, I'd like to give our listeners something more interesting to listen to and, and argue the toss with you, but I can't. I agree with everything you just said. I think that's absolutely on the money. So 1-1 against Rotherham, as Dan mentioned. That was Houghton's first home game. Although I guess you wouldn't really know it right now, would you? Home versus away. There's not much of a difference. It's just the miles you're putting on the coach. So let's move to our second game. Another home game. The big one. Derby County. So some interesting changes, both to the starting 11 and also the formation. Starting 11, Samba, Christy, Figs, McKenna, Ianu again at the back. So maintaining that same back five. Lolly, Yates, Arta comes in for Colback, who Dan just mentioned, perhaps isn't playing his best football right now. And that's maybe not too surprising given how little football he's been able to play in the last year or so. Amiobi, Graben and Taylor which is kind of interesting because, of course, that changed the formation, reverting Forrest to an unfamiliar 4-4-2, putting Graben and Taylor up top together. As the boys ran out to warm up, they were sporting their special pink training tops, again, in honor of the cancer awareness campaigns. That was good to see. be interesting to see what happens to those top tops subsequently. I know there's a lot of us that uh, would be interested in getting our hands on them. Forest started a little gingerly. It wasn't one for the ages as far as Derby's go. Taylor did have an early sight of goal off of a nice three ball from Christie. Yates, another of his what are now trademark diving headers, this time wider the post office some good work by Taylor and Amiobi. On the half an hour mark though, following a dubious free kick, Derby's waghorn struck in a little bit of a thunder bastard, let's be honest from the underside of the crossbar to put the Rams up one nil. Samba came out big in a one-on-one with Shinny late in the half as Derby really were beginning to turn the screw. Hooten responded by bringing on Anthony Knockhart for his debut and changing up the shape of the team, reverting to a more familiar formation. Graben making way for Knockhart, which was kind of surprising. But maybe it goes to what Dan was saying earlier about a striker struggling with confidence for the time being. Cometh the hour, quite literally, and cometh the man. From a corner, which Yates made a nuisance of himself in the box, the ball fell to Taylor, who, with a striker's instinct, spun and finished neatly to not only level the game at 1-1, but of course, as we mentioned earlier, tuck away his 1,000-pound goal. I mean, pound sterling, not. Wait. Although that was a heavy blow on Derby. Both teams did uh, continue to create chances, but again, it really wasn't one for the ages until late on where <laughs> just as with a previous game, Lewis Graven gave us something to talk about after the final whistle. This time it was a Derby player Joswiak scoring clearly in an offside position. Derby fans, I think still crying about it. Where are we now? Five, six days later, the game ended
1: one, one meaning forest retained. The Brian Clough trophy. Dan? Yeah, similar story to Rotherham really, uh, you know, in the in the stats as well, in the sense that, you know, we go behind and we, we pull the goal back. Um, I think a reason to be cheerful on this one is um, Derby have actually looked pretty good in attack, so they're, they're doing their best to be worse than us this year. Like Every time I switch on uh, We go goal behind, and then they go goal behind, or they go one up, we go one down, and then we equalise, and someone equalises against them. So they're they're doing the best to to make a mess of it, just as we've done early in the season. But at time of recording, they're directly below (laughs) us in the league, right? They're one spot below us in the league. Yeah, (laughs) once again, after conceding to Cardiff fairly late yesterday, Um, yeah. Honestly, I think they've played pretty good attacking football. They've got a couple of players who look pretty good. Uh, and there was times in that game where I think they did more damage to us than anyone has done this season in terms of fluid attacking football between the lines with us looking a bit ragged as, the, as they look to get crosses in or cut inside. Um, so the fact that we kept them out, I think, is good because that could have been a game in previous seasons or maybe if we were still on that dire run from the beginning of the season where we could have been two or three down by half time if we weren't careful. So I think only being one down and then getting back into it is a reason to, to, be, uh, to be cheerful about that. Um, unfortunately, we are getting shown up at set pieces on a regular basis. So, you know, we've, uh, we were unbeaten under Houghton at the time of uh, recording four games. Um, we've conceded in three of those four games and all of those goals we've conceded in three 1-1 one, one draws have all been from set pieces, penalty, free kick, and corner as we'll, as we'll get onto against Luton. Um, so there's still more work to be done there. But ultimately, if you don't give away the set pieces, you don't concede set piece goals. So um, I think that's less on our defence in some aspects and more on our midfield as we, as we can get on to talk about. Um, I think you can argue that the likes of Rotherham and Luton shouldn't be too troubling to us versus a team like Derby with the the players they've got in the positions they've got. That might be a bit patronising to to Luton especially. Um, but I, I would have taken a draw before that game. And I think at half time I would have taken a draw. Um, so, yeah, reasonably happy with that. I think it's easy to get carried away and say we should be smashing teams at this point. But um, I would have taken a draw at Derby. Admittedly, I would have taken a draw at Derby after beating Rotherham. So two points from six isn't ideal. But on its own, you know, I don't think we could have asked for much more from that game by the way we played. Uh, and the only other thing I mentioned for the Derby game is, um, I say we, the, the general uh, Twitter NFFC timeline have been calling out for two strikers for God knows how long. And we got what we wanted for half an hour and it was absolutely dire, which I think tells you a couple of things. Uh, I'm not saying that it's not the answer to any of our problems, but, you know, be careful what you wish for. And also when you do get it, be patient with it, because ultimately if we're going to jump on a team that haven't played together after 45 minutes in a new formation, uh, then we don't deserve nice things really.
0: 100% agree. Yeah. Again, wish I could uh, provide a little friction here, but I think you're, closing comments there in regards to the four-four-two 4 on the money. I don't imagine the team had very long to really work in that formation. I think it was worth trying. I think it would be a nice thing to have in our armory. Clearly it wasn't explosive on this particular occasion, but I think just generally speaking, as a fan base, we we need to have a lot more patience. And I don't just mean as a Forest fan base, I mean as fans of football in general. We're on such a hair trigger anymore. When something doesn't work immediately... Um, somebody has to be to blame and of course social media just blows up. No, it wasn't pretty in the first half and no, the 442 didn't really work on this occasion. But again, I think it's something that's worth persevering with so that we at least have it available to us, particularly as we have other attacking players on the bench who could come on and slot into those positions as well. I mean, notably Meiton and Guerrero as Dan mentioned earlier. You, Talked about our frailty at set pieces down, which I would argue is something that's a carryover from last season. However, one thing we do seem to have addressed is that we don't seem to be struggling toward the end of games. Much has been made of the fact we're not starting games particularly well, but at least we're finishing games strongly. However, in the last three games, obviously we've conceded in every game, albeit just the one goal. So is that glass half empty or glass half full? Is the fact we're not keeping clean sheets massively problematic or the fact we're only conceding a goal per game something to be happy about
1: well yeah um you've got to be scoring more eventually one way or another right so um we're still not winning many well we've won one this season right so um there's obviously more we need to do but as you say i don't think that necessarily requires us to go and do something fundamentally different it might just require us to get better at what we're supposed to be doing uh, which would lead to us tightening up at set pieces uh, and you know, potentially having a, a bit more uh, space up front. You, d- you put yourself in a difficult position when you go behind, right? It doesn't matter how many shots on goal you have, the pressure changes. You know, anyone who's played at any level of football knows when you know you're one down, it changes the decisions you make with the ball as much as your coach has been telling you all week to do other things. When the pressure's on, you see the clock says 15 minutes, 20 minutes left. You play in a different way. You can't replicate that, really. You can't do that from the first minute, I think, as, as we may speak about on Luton. Um, it was impressive how we started pressing early at Luton, but ultimately it didn't get us um, a different result, and the laws of physics are the same for everyone. If you run yourself into the ground in the first half, there's nothing left second half, and I think mm-hmm. we saw that. More so at Luton, but we've seen it in a lot of the games with, with Lolly and others where you can't play at that pace for 90 minutes. If you go behind, you're forced to play at that pace to catch up. Uh, and if you start at that pace, it's going to get to you eventually, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So transitioning to our third and final game in this episode, the recent game against Luton away, actually just last night, uh, obviously we're recording this the day after. So it is fresh in the memory. It uh, doesn't mean we're going to give you any better analysis, <laughs> but it does at least mean I didn't have to dig back through my notes and through the forest Twitter timeline, to remind myself what went down, let's start with the lineup. Again, a couple of changes, but not at the back. And Dan, I want to talk to you about this in, in a bit more detail here in just a moment, because of course, there's going to be an enforced change in that back five for the following game. But for the Luton game, again, Samba, Christy, McKenna, Figs, Ianu. Colback comes back in for Arta. Yates continues to start. Certainly seems to be a favorite of Hootons. And again, not based on recent performances. It's not hard to see why. Knockhart comes in and Graben goes to the bench. Lolly, Amiobi and Taylor takes up that attacking position at the point. So again, familiar shape, familiar personnel. Uh, Knockhart now starting to work his way into the starting 11, which I think surprises no one. Surely the most important, the most notable item, as far as this game is concerned, is the arrival of the third kit. Got to pause here, Dan, and just let you let you get in on this. Uh, some third kit love, wasn't it cool? to See that third kit finally, see the light of day.
1: Yeah, big fan of it, I have to say. Uh, big fan of it as a as an item of clothing. Uh, given the the drama of grey away kits in the 90s in the Premier League with Manchester United, etc., I'm not sure of the sports psychology around playing in a colour that's hardly visible. Um, but we're not here for that, are we? We're here for the fashion, so you know, five stars from me. Great kit.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So as Dan mentioned, Forrest did start on the front foot uncharacteristically as of late. Pressing, Luton all over the field, which was fantastic to see. For my money though, there are a few too many backwards and sideways passes. So yes, we had possession higher up the field, but we didn't really do a whole lot with it. The purpose of pressing higher up the field is so that when the ball gets turned over, you're in a more dangerous position to actually be able to do something. And it felt like we won the ball and then just kind of poured it around like a cat with a ball of wool. Not much coming from it. That being said, whenever the ball found its way to Knockart's feet, he looked dangerous every single time. And uh, Dan and I had a conversation about this during the game about is he this season's lolly? And if teams start wising up to that, is it going to be easy for them to shut him down in games? I guess we'll see as the season rolls on. Some schoolboy defending on the 22nd minute led to Luton taking an unexpected opener from Glenn Rea, uh, a corner that came in that could have been cleared, I think, any one of three occasions before Raya finally was able to steer the ball into the bottom corner, giving Samba no chance. Again, every game, though, seems to have a focal point right now, and arguably this one was a minute before half time when Ianu, whose first touch was that of a trampoline, decided to try and win the ball back. And in doing so, went into a tackle that the ref adjud- adjudged to be dangerous. Studs up. Obviously, we don't know exactly what co- the conversation that took place between the ref and the nearest official on the touchline. But ultimately, it led to Yanu seeing a straight red an incident that once again broke Twitter. So I'm going to be excited to hear what Dan has to say about that. In the second half, Forrest were forced to be more compact in a 4-4-1 formation. Amiobi being sacrificed to enable Jenkinson to come on and shore up the defense Forrest clearly looking to try and counter-attack and make the most of the few opportunities that might come their way. Being a man down, uh, Taylor got very close on the hour mark again. What is it about him in the sixtieth minute before Ryan Yates with a little help from Raya converted an equalizer from a Christie cross. Another interesting point of note as well is that despite having only 10 men and making the enforced substitution, bringing Jenkinson on at half, Hooton decided not to go to the bench again for the remainder of the match. It didn't hurt Forrest though. They came away with a draw. 1-1. Dan, what's your assessment of this
1: one? Uh, wow, well, where to start? Um, let, let's start with the goal. Um, well, I'll start with the goal. Um, I want to be very clear here because the next minute I'll be part of the uh, the bunch getting a, a beating on Twitter for picking some kind of scapegoat. So uh, by no means is this scapegoating. I just want to try and uh, give my analysis or my opinion on uh, what I think happened. I don't trust Amiobi as a defender. I don't trust him in and around our own box. That doesn't take away from what he's there to do. Uh, and it, I guess it's down to the coaches to either work on that side of the game or to play in a way that allows him not to be there as often. <laughs> um, whether that's playing him as the second, not as the number 10 as such, but as the player who would not be in the box defending. He's um, it, been a liability on a couple of occasions in that sense. Um, and if you listen to Mick McCarthy on the halftime show on Sky Sports for the game yesterday, uh, he, it was quite basic analysis of showing, yep, there were several mistakes in the forest box on that corner. Um, a few people didn't go for challenges. Colback probably should have done more, uh, but then again, he was the wrong side of the ball, so maybe you know, risk giving a penalty away. Amiobi just drifted out of his position, and then a the ball was played back in, and it was a simple finish. So I do think we need to look at that, and I'm not saying drop Amiobi or anything like that. I'm just saying we need to understand. Uh, why we're giving away so many goals from set pieces when he's either implicated in the second ball or giving away the free kick? For instance, as I think it was against Derby. Am I right in saying that? Was it Amiobi giving it away? Maybe not. I'll take that back in case uh, that. I'm that's, trying to remember uh, not it now. Not correct. Hmm. Um, but there's plenty of free kicks that you, if you're watching on TV from over here in the US we give a free kick away, then the, the camera pans to Ami shocked face that the refs had <laughs> judged him to have not won the ball. Um, but anyway, so that, that for the first goal, that was that was the takeaway. Um, the, the red card, uh, it's a difficult one to argue, right? Because the rules are ambiguous and they're there to make sure that the players are protected and they're not hurt. Um I didn't think it was a red card in the sense that if by the letter of the law, if you're looking at studs up, feet off the ground, reckless, etc. The ball was touched first. He did have his studs down. He only went in with one foot. Um, And I'm not saying by any means that the Luton player went down in a way to deceive the ref because it was an immediate fall from the challenge. But when you look at that from a distance and you can't see the detail of where the feet were, it just looks wrong. The whole situation looks wrong, and I can completely see why the ref came to that conclusion or the linesman did. Um, so yeah, I think you know it was our own fault for getting ourselves into that and um, that's where we ended up. So I think the only other thing I'll touch on from your from your fairly comprehensive kind of analysis of the game is um, when Knockhart plays, and as you alluded to, we spoke about him and Lolly, they're the same player to a degree whereby they play or out they're played on the right hand side. Uh, And they cut in and they either put a uh, inward swinging cross in or they have a shot on goal. If you're playing Knockhart, then you can't play Lolly in the same position. And Lolly played in the, what we call the number 10 role where Freeman's played and dare I say it, where uh, Carvalho was most effective when he was allowed to do what he did. um, You dare not say it. You dare not say it. Do not speak that name? Move on quickly. No, exactly. Um, So with Lolly playing at number 10, it means he's playing a different type of game. Um, didn't I'm, look effective, one, did he? I, I just don't know what he was being asked to do, because the same with Carvalho. Are you, are you trying to pick the ball up in that space, and are you trying to thread a through ball to Lyle Taylor? Because if you are, you've got to realise pretty quickly, as a coach that when Luton are playing on the edge of the 18-yard box, as we saw with Taylor to a degree, they know that he's going to try and get in behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and Forrester got two options. You either swing a crossing, which they seem to be happy to let us do, because Taylor was mainly on his own. Uh, Yates was trying to get in there, but it's a tough ask when he's the one picking up the first ball in the center circle to then do all that running. Um, And then you've not really got any support for Taylor because Lolly's being asked to be the assist as are the two wingers. Um, So you're either going wide to Amiobi or not. who are putting a cross in and that, you know, Taylor's been outnumbered three, four to two, four to one at some points, if you include the keeper Hmm. Um, And we saw that all yesterday. Or if Lolly's got the ball centrally, he's got to thread it through on the ground. And there just isn't that space. You can't thread a ball through and get someone to run onto it when the defense is playing so deep. And I'm, I'm just surprised that we haven't, through many iterations of number 10s and many iterations of strikers, we haven't worked that out that we need. Um, a second option for when the opposition defence play deep against us and they will play deep all season when you look at the talent we've got no one's leaving 30 yards between their defence and their keeper when we've got Knockhart, Freeman, Lolly, Arter, Amiobi to play through balls to Graben and Taylor that's that's disaster so mm-hmm. we've got to find a way of working that um, the only thing that I'm hoping we might look at doing um, and again this isn't to say we should drop Amiobi this is more about the other talent uh, is to play with Lolly and Knockhart on the two wings because they are both natural left-footers. So they give you the option of putting in a true left-footed cross. Uh, we've lost cash and looks like Ribeiro is out of favour, so we haven't got those crosses coming from the wing-backs. And we need, to, we need to be able to uh, have crossing options on both sides and the option for one of them to cut in. So I'd like to see them both playing wide. Uh, and I'm hoping Freeman picks up a bit more fitness and offers that real bit of talent in the middle that's less about the number 10 through ball that Carvalho and Lolly would be playing and more about that kind of Andy Reid style of player who can do something a bit magic in that space himself rather than just being the assistant to the striker. So that's what I picked up from the game. Again, I think it's all about being patient here. We've got a lot of forward options. I trust Chris Hewitt will sort this out um, and work out exactly what we need to do to be as effective as possible uh, going forward.
0: Yeah, I like what, coming back to Freeman, I like what Freeman does in that number 10 role, not just in terms of his offensive flair, his creativity, but also the fact he is comfortable receiving a ball under pressure. And he ends up being that connecting tissue. So he's not always necessarily having to do something that's flamboyant. He might just literally be transitioning the ball from one side of the field to the other, but he may have two people on his back while he's doing it. And where some people on our roster would struggle in that situation, he doesn't. Uh, And I think it's a miss not having him in there. I didn't think Lolly was effective in that position. And I agree with you. I think having him on one side, knock out on the other, that's something I would like to see as well. Again, no slight on Amiobi. You know, Amiobi can go play centre-back. I'm I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) You mentioned Ribeiro. Let's circle back around to him. Uh, I agree with you again on Ayanu's red card um i think it's fair to say his foot was down and below the ball when it made contact with the ball and rode up the ball and ultimately became a dangerous tackle as cleats met leg uh that's unfortunate but to your point you can see how that could be given so i don't think we can t- get too bent out of shape about that he will now not be available in the next match which you have to imagine. Is kind of a blow for Chris Houghton, given that he has again picked those five defenders or four defenders and goalkeeper for the last three matches. So what happens in that position, Dan?
1: Do we see Oliveira come back? Or has he picked them, Mark? Oh, <laughs> I don't know, Daniel. What are you <laughs> suggesting? <laughs> I I honestly don't know, but I am suspicious as to um if you if you believe the trail of events that happened, and I have no reason not to believe them. Uh, Ribeiro was being shipped off to Olympiacos um, with our other Portuguese players and only one of the three took them up on that kind offer an offer that you couldn't and don't refuse by the sounds of it Um, and then the other two were cast out and one of them since left us the the number 10 that we don't talk about and uh, Ribeiro's now sitting there from what I've seen on training videos on Twitter and stuff he seems to be in and around the first team he's got squad number he's in the you know, he's, he's there. Um, so it, it begs a question, right? You've got two natural left backs in the team now, or three, if you include Blackett, I suppose, I think there was, he started there at the beginning of the season when he did, uh, yeah. Lamucci coincidentally also suddenly fell out of favor with Ribeiro or vice versa. Yeah, coincidences do happen. Um, so yeah, we played Blackett there. We've now played Jenkins in there. And uh, if we play Bong there, I have a feeling that Ribeiro's time at the club is done. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, that's for me. That's a bad thing on two two sides. One is I think he's actually a very good player. Um, some people went all in on Ioannou yesterday. I actually think he's been all right. I think he's a bit quick to get the cross in. Yeah, me he's too. Been putting crosses in from near the halfway line. Um, but that comes with time. He'll you know they'll work on that. That's something you can coach. And he's he's not a bad player. But I think Ribeiro is an asset, and I'd like to see both of them at the club as our first and second choice uh, left backs. So I think they offer something different for different types of games. Um, more importantly for me though is if Ribera is not picked that tells me that Chris Hutton isn't picking the team and mm. I don't believe Chris Hewton is the kind of person who allows other people to pick his team so per Karanka that would set alarm bells off for me if, um, if another choice was made. Now the only caveat and ambiguity to all of that is the relationship Hewton and and Bong have had in the past and whether he just trusts in this situation of putting someone in there who knows his style, understands his instructions and it's a safer bet in the short term um, but it makes me very suspicious that um, if Rubiro is playing as to what the, the motives are behind the scenes. Um, I'm hoping Rubiro plays or I'm hoping he's on the bench with Bong playing, whatever Chris Hewton prefers. If he's not in the starting line, you know, if he's not in the starting, whatever it is now, 18, um, then yeah, not, not too happy with that. Okay.
0: Chris Hewton, manager, not coach. Manager. Exactly. Not coach. So yeah. his first four games, six points, decent haul. Uh, I think we all think Forrest could have come away with the win against Rotherham, which would have made the picture even rosier, but unbeaten in his first four games, not bad going from Chris Houghton. I would summarize those three matches, Dan, as could have been better. Rotherham could have been worse. Luton and kind of what we expected Derby. Yeah. Also, I'll give a quick roundup of the Forest women's games as well, because they're having a fantastic season. They're currently third in the division and pushing for promotion Uh, Folks that listen to the show regularly will know we talked with Andy Cook, the coach, and Lindsay Harkin, skipper, a few weeks ago, and we continue to focus on the women's team and give them our support. Since we last recorded, they actually lost to a very good Huddersfield team who are definitely going to be in the mix at the end of the season. It was a narrow defeat, though, 2-1 away at Huddersfield. Forrest's only goal coming from a towering header from Charlotte Greengrass Forrest in the next game were home against Hull. Again, another tough team in the division this season. That game actually watched by Lyle Taylor, who went along to give support to the women's team, which was fantastic to see. Another reason why any of our listeners who are based in Nottingham should get themselves along to the Forest women's team games. You never know who you're going to see on the sidelines. Uh, Forest are actually 2-0 down at half-time, but Coach Cook went to, went to work, worked his magic, a couple of subs, and in the second half, uh, McKechney. Scored Forrest's first goal before in the 90th minute and change. uh, Rosie Axton had to keep her calm to dispatch a penalty. That earned Forrest a well-deserved point. 2-2 against Hull. Dan, do we have any NFFC
1: NA news? Uh, Just a few bits to update people on. So any members out there, and we do have a lot of members this year. So thank you to everyone who uh, stuck with us this year. There are the regular things that are ongoing in the background that are part of the membership. So we have the Prediction League, uh, which you're more than welcome to to jump on now. You're not really behind because everyone's had an absolutely appalling start to the season. So uh, you can jump in now. Um, We have the Player of the Month competition, so look out for that in your email inboxes. Uh, Andy is working on the Hall of Fame, so he's got some great articles about uh, players uh, from the past who have uh, gone into the Hall of Fame this year uh, on the website, which is nffcna.com. Uh, and then of course, uh, mainly we, we like to have contributors, right? This is a, this is a group for all of us. Um, so we've had a couple of people write blog posts recently about their own experiences following forest. It doesn't have to be some monumental story about, you know, sneaking into the European cup final as a three-year-old or four-year-old or something. Uh, we just want to hear different experiences about how you watch forest, how you got into forest, all those things. So the blog is one way to do it, get in contact with us again, through the website or on email or Twitter. Uh, the, other, the other way to do that is, of course, uh, via this podcast, Mark. So absolutely. I'll segue over to you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. 100%. We've been talking about the fact we would like to have more chapter representation on the pod. Of course, Corey represents Florida, Jordan, Toronto, Big Wes, Atlanta, and Dan here himself representing NYC. But we'd love to hear from all of our chapters, and so encourage you guys to reach out to us, uh, email us forestfancast at gmail.com, or of course you can reach out to us through Twitter, express an interest in coming on the show, talk about your chapter, where you guys watch Forest Games, it'd be fantastic to do that. Before we transition to predictions and closing out this episode, Dan, I do want to just mention one other thing of note, as it's coming to its conclusion, as I understand, Forest by Numbers, the podcast that you've hosted, limited podcast, but a fantastic listen for anyone who's not familiar with that pod do you want to give folks a quick synopsis and tell them where to find it
1: sure yeah thanks mark um i was driving to work one day and i thought why don't i do a podcast where someone thinks of a number and then talks about it about forest um and then i didn't really think about the practicalities of that but anyway um i asked some people to think about it and uh didn't want to have it ongoing forever because uh, it is as as we all know it, it it's a pain a, in the ass a Time commitment to, yeah it is, it's time commitment <laughs> to do this kind of stuff um but yeah so the 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 kind of crux of it is i wanted people to tell stories about their connection to forest just random stuff not necessarily like how you started supporting but you know what was the last thing you bought in the club shop or what was your favorite shirt just the the randomness that you don't necessarily get with kind of um the 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 podcast this one uh, where we talk about the games and what's happened and you know that kind of thing here and now this is more the pub stuff around you know who's better spider-man or superman and all that nonsense so Spider-Man. that's the premise for it well yeah <laughs> superman, but, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah that's the premise for it i did 11 episodes so there's 11 numbers it's essentially a squad of forest fans who have contributed um we've done 10 episodes one more recording shortly and that will be that so uh, it will sit there and you can go back i'd say it's timeless um but that's mainly just because we made horrible predictions about what was going to happen that haven't come true so they're they're wrong forever so even if you listen in a year they'll still be wrong um but yeah anyone who wants to listen uh, at forest by numbers on twitter and it's got all the links to spotify and apple and the usual stuff
0: yeah, you have a great mix of guests as well, male, female, folks this side of the pond, folks back home, uh, from all walks of life. It just all ages as well. It really makes for a a, a fantastic listen. So I encourage folks to check out Forest by Numbers. Okay, let's transition to our predictions. We have three games to cover. I don't know about you, Dan, but this has been a heavy lift trying to get through three games in this episode. So I'm not relishing doing it again in the next episode, but we're going to have to. So let's talk about them quickly, though, uh, so we know what we have coming down the pike, as our American cousins would say. First game up is this Saturday, October 31st, away at Middlesbrough. Uh, you know, these next three games, Dan, for me, they're kind of the battle of the strikers. So the Middlesbrough game, immediately in my mind, goes to Asambolonga, right? Former Reds legend. I use legend with a small owl, but he did well while at the city ground. So what are your thoughts on Middlesbrough? you think Forest will get something from that?
1: Yes, I think we'll get something from it. Um, I'm confident of getting something from most games now. We've got Hewton, whatever whatever that is that we take from them. Um, when I think of Middlesbrough, I think of Neil Warnock, and I think of another very good manager at this level who doesn't get beaten easily. Um, so I'm expecting a tight game, probably a goal in it either way. Um, I was trying to scramble to find my predictions in the prediction league, which I've forgotten, but I'm going to go for another 1-1. One, one. I'm going to go for a Carranca-esque 1-1, one, one where neither manager lets this get away from them, and both of them would be happy taking a point than uh, letting the other team get three.
0: God, it's sickening how much we're agreeing in this episode. But I'm going for the same result, 1-1. One, one. I think a, a some Belonger might pop up, and I think Taylor... Might Notch his second in response. The next two games are actually against teams currently in relegation positions, two teams sitting directly below us. The first of which is Coventry. We play them at the city ground the following Wednesday, November the 4th. And of course we welcome Tyler Walker back to Nottingham. Dan thoughts on this one.
1: I think we're going to win this. Um, my abiding memory of Coventry City at home is uh, on a weeknight is uh, Sky Monday night game the first year we're in the Premier League and Bart Simpson being on the pitch with some cheerleaders and fireworks. Um, so with all that in mind, that's completely irrelevant. 3-1 Forest.
0: Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Are you serious?
1: <laughs> the that's exactly... Like, oh. like Derren Brown. I can read it. I don't know what <laughs> you're going to say.
0: That's exactly what I'm going for. 3-1. And I'm going to let Tyler Walker have the one I would absolutely not have an issue with it. Unless it costs us points, I have no problem with him scoring against us. In fact, I encourage You're, it. I welcome it.
1: You'll live to regret that when we miss out on the playoffs by one goal difference next season.
0: Oh, don't even. So yeah, <laughs> 3-1 to the good guys. And the final of the three games, newly promoted Wickham. And I think the striker here who naturally draws the attention is Akin Fenwa, who I think played his first game in the championship in their last match. So good for him. And for Wickham, of course, they're struggling a little bit though, transitioning to the championship. Forrest, welcome them to the city ground a week Saturday, November the 7th. I'm not sure whether to let you go first and then see if you can. Let's do that.
1: I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. On Mark, so. Go on then. Go on then. When you play away at Wickham, you get hit in the face with partridges on, on a weeknight. Uh, this is at home. You sounded like Cantonar. Yeah. <laughs> this is at home and it's also not a weeknight. So, with all that said, I think we will win. Well, sorry, you think we will win 2 0.
0: Oh, you! Oh, you've got to be kidding! Oh my gosh! I wish but we were to put this part of the video out. <laughs> That's exactly why I am down here.
1: Oh my goodness! Um go. one, one, three, one, two, nil. Yes. Put, put your bets on. It's happening. Okay. seven points.
0: There you go. Brilliant. Well, we are in total agreement, which means it's happening. Forrest then go into the international break and won't we'll play again until November the twenty-first when they'll be away at barnsley so we have a mercifully we have a break in there to catch our breath after two packed pods and that brings us to the end of this one dan just one thing i want to say in closing which is we have been bringing more of a spotlight to the nottingham forest women's team we mentioned them earlier in the pod of course a couple of times I mentioned as well that lyle taylor is a big supporter of the team and we want to take our support to the next level by sponsoring one of the women we know the women's team well the women's game in general is not supported financially as well as the men's. And these individual player sponsorships mean a huge amount to the individuals themselves and to the team and to the club as a whole. And we have the opportunity to sponsor one of the players for $500, a measly $500. And we're very close to our goal. So I'm going to ask you guys to check out our GoFundMe campaign uh, on Twitter. And we're going to sweeten the pot with this announcement, which is For every $10 that you contribute to the campaign that gets you a ticket in a drawing for a signed Nottingham Forest women's shirt. I can probably even twist coach Cook's arm and get the entire team to sign it. If you'd prefer it just to be signed by the player we're sponsoring, that's fine. But if you want the entire team's signatures, some of whom, by the way, are England youth internationals, then I, again, I think we can probably make that happen. So if you, contribute $30 that gets you three tickets, $50, five tickets and so on. And once we hit our target here, hopefully soon, we'll go ahead and do that drawing and make sure that shirt is sent to the lucky winner. So please help us get over the line. We've had some very generous contributions so far, not least of all from Mr. White on this podcast. And, um, we're so close now. We're so close. So please help us help this incredible team. They really. Have a legitimate chance to get promoted this year they're pushing hard for it so let's show our support in a myriad of ways but not least of all through sponsoring one of the players dan let's wrap up this pod as we always do on three my friend one two three that wasn't enthusiastic (laughs) i think we're just tired that was grueling. It was. Pre-
1: it was with all the enthusiasm that I think it deserves at this point. You'll <laughs> get a bigger one as it goes on. I'm all. I'm all for. You know, the fans respond to the product on the pitch, not vice versa. Absolutely. They can. They can, they can get a bigger one next time once we've beaten Wickham two now.
0: Turn draws to wins, Chris Hooton, and you'll get a louder you Reds. Cheers, Dan. Appreciate you being on the show.
1: Pleasure as always Mark. Thanks for having me.